Our passage today is Matthew 15, 21 through 39. Matthew 15, 21 through 39. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begging him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee. And he went up on the mountain and sat down there. And great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put them at his feet, and he healed them. So that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, And they glorified the God of Israel. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been here with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I am unwilling to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way. And the disciples said to him, where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? And Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven and a few small fish. And directing the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up seven baskets full of the broken pieces left over. Those who ate were 4,000 men, besides women and children. And after sending away the crowds, he got into the boat and went to the region of Magadan. Jesus has crossed the line. In fact, in today's account, we see Jesus, he crosses many lines. It begins right at the start of this account. He's crossed the line and he's gone into Gentile territory. Verse 21, Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Tyre and Sidon were solidly Gentile territory. Now, we remember a Gentile is anyone who's not of Jewish descent. Almost all of us here this morning are Gentiles. 
And while there are times in the Gospels that we've seen Jesus ministering in areas that might be heavily populated by Gentiles or really under Gentile influence, this is the first and the only time in the Gospels that we see Him leave and go to solidly Gentile territory. Since He's in Gentile territory, He's already crossed that line. Well, what's going to happen? Of course, He encounters Gentiles. And specifically here in verse 22, a Gentile woman. It says, And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed with a demon. It's interesting that Matthew identifies this woman as a Canaanite. When Mark records this same account, he identifies the woman as a Syrophoenician woman. And that's exactly how she would have been referred to in that day, Syrophoenician. But Matthew uses the label of Canaanite. And the thing that's odd about that is this is the only place in the entire New Testament where the label of Canaanite is used. Now, the Canaanites were those who were in the land before Israel came in and took the land. During the time of conquest, as recorded in the book of Judges, the Canaanites were the enemies of Israel. The Canaanites were heathens. They were pagans. And so Matthew chooses this word Canaanite, and what's it emphasizing but just how different she is? He's emphasizing that she is in, she herself is a heathen, and Jesus is now in pagan country, encountering those who were considered pagans. And so you need to understand, Jesus had nationally, he had no business speaking to a Gentile pagan. And then culturally, Jesus had no business speaking with a woman. So both of these things were strictly looked down upon, and to do either one of those things would be to cross a line. So when we hear in verse 23 that despite this woman crying out, it says he did not answer her a word, Jesus was actually doing the culturally appropriate and expected thing for him to do in this situation. But we find that the woman wasn't deterred. So she continued to cry out, so much so that we hear the disciples beg Jesus, just send her away. And does he? Friends, Jesus doesn't send her away. Jesus does not send her away because as we sang to open the service this morning, did ever saint find this friend forsake him? No, not one. No, not one. Or sinner find that he would not take him or take her. No, not one. Jesus does not turn away those who come in true faith. And so then we might ask, well then, why didn't Jesus respond immediately to the cries of this woman? Friends, could it be? Could it be that in fact Jesus let this woman continue crying out, making a scene disturbing the peace, causing people to come out and go, what's going on here? So that they would then see, more people would come and see what Jesus was about to do. Could it be that He allowed the scene to build and grow in intensity to draw a crowd in so that they would witness and hear the very words that He was about to speak because Jesus was about to cross the line. And He wanted many to see it. 
You see, Jesus didn't send this woman away. Instead, He engaged her in conversation. We see in verse 24, He answers, I was only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, this isn't the first time that we've heard Jesus say this in Matthew's Gospel. We heard it before, back in Matthew chapter 10, verses 5 and 6. It says, These twelve, meaning His disciples, Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter into no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So Jesus actually declares here what He had instructed His disciples previously. He had told His disciples to go where He was sent, which was to the lost sheep of Israel. Now some people might hear that and hear that as exclusionary. But friends, it wasn't. It wasn't because this was part of God's sovereign plan to reach the Gentile nations. This statement here, I was sent first to the lost sheep of Israel, is not at the expense of the Gentiles, but for the sake of the Gentiles. In fact, later on when the Apostle Paul was doing his ministry, he went to Antioch and there the Jewish people rejected him. And in Acts 13, verses 46 through 47, we hear recorded, Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly saying, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, meaning the Jewish people. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. They, they say it was necessary that the Word of God be spoken to you first to the lost sheep of Israel, just as Jesus declares. But friends, that was all part of God's plan to then eventually reach all the nations, Jew and Gentile alike. In fact, the Apostle Paul takes three whole chapters of the book of Romans from chapters 9 through 11 to explain how the rejection of the Jewish people to the gospel to whom it was spoken first resulted in the gospel going to the Gentile nations. And Paul celebrates, oh my goodness, the wisdom of God. That this is how he would accomplish his purposes and his plan. Because friends, it's always been God's intention that the gospel go forth to the, all of the nations, to the very ends of the earth. And we know this because we have a picture, a snapshot from the very end. In the final book of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, in chapter 7, verses 9 through 10, the Apostle John records this for us. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Friends, this is God's sovereign plan for the inclusion of the Gentiles, for the inclusion of all nations. So while we might hear Jesus' statement saying, I was sent to the lost tribes of Israel as exclusionary, friends, it was part of God's inclusionary plan to reach all the peoples. It started first with the Gospel coming to the Jewish nation, then to the Gentiles, 
so that all might eventually come and worship around the throne. We learn to never underestimate. Never underestimate the sovereignty and the wisdom of God. And so with this understanding, we turn back to Jesus' exchange with this Syrophoenician woman. He makes abundantly clear, he says, I was sent to Israel, and it's clear she is not part of Israel. She's an unclean Canaanite. But even with that, the woman's not deterred. Rather, we hear the woman pray. She prays in verse 25. She came and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. She knows she doesn't deserve a hearing. So she has little time, but she doesn't need much time. Her words are short and to the point. Lord, help me. Friends, how many people have, have said, I don't know how to pray? Uh, prayer, prayer is a great mystery to me. Friends, it's not a mystery. Look right here in all of its simplicity. Lord, help me. Prayer is not for theological giants. Prayer is for hearts that have come to the end of their rope, that recognize their need, that confess that there's one who can help and will reach out in faith. Lord, help me. Friends, are some of you here today holding out, unwilling to confess that need, unwilling to reach out to Him who can and will save. Lord, help me. She does. She cries out, Lord, help me. And of course, reading this account might make you actually a little hesitant to pray because Jesus' response seems a little callous. Seems a little offensive, a little unfeeling. Look at verse 26. He answered, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. You know, this response has troubled readers ever since it was written. I mean, how do we make sense of such a callous sounding response to this woman's pain? And what do we do with the fact that Jesus seems to add insult to injury and calls her a dog? Now, first, let's make abundantly clear what's not going on in this account. There are some out there who will look at this account and they'll use this account to say, well, Jesus is expressing a racist attitude towards this woman. And what we actually witness in this account is Jesus repenting of his racism. And friends, if you ever hear a teacher say that, walk away from them because they're not talking about the true Jesus. To believe that Jesus was a racist and needed to repent is to believe, say that you believe Jesus sinned. And friends, Jesus did not sin. The whole of Scripture makes that clear. And to say that in this exchange, somehow Jesus re received new and unknown knowledge that caused him to change his mind about a people group is to say that you believe Jesus was something less than divine. Because God does not change and he is not surprised. So this is not an issue of Jesus himself being racist or repenting of sin. Then what is happening here? Well, friends, as we consider what's happening here, we need to consider what we have here are the words of Jesus, but we don't have the tone of Jesus. Intonation, the way that we use pitch when we speak, while we might use the same words, you know that intonation in a sentence can completely change the meaning. For example, you like this shirt? 
is different from, you like this shirt? A genuine thanks is received differently than thanks. I used the same word. I simply changed the tone. So when we read something in the Gospels that might confuse us, we do need to remember that most of our communication is, much of our communication is tonal, and a lot of it's nonverbal. Friends, we don't have the tone of Jesus' words to this woman, nor can we see Jesus' body language as he delivered it, nor catch all the nonverbal cues that would have been given in communication. Because however these words come across to us today, from this woman's response, it is obvious that his statement didn't just shut down the conversation. It clearly in some way invited further dialogue. Now, what seems most likely is that Jesus was confronting bias here, not his own bias. Jesus was exposing and confronting the biases of his day. You see, Jesus has already crossed the line in being in Gentile country altogether. He's already crossed the line in engaging this woman at all. But now he crosses the line by exposing and addressing the biases of his own people. I mean, remember last week, Last week in the account right before this one, in verses 1 through 20, we we heard Jesus sparring with the Pharisees over the issue of clean and unclean. And friends, the Jewish people in Jesus' day considered all the Gentiles to be unclean, really no better than unclean dogs. And so I believe that Jesus was expressing not his own personal biases, but he was articulating, giving voice to the biases of his day. And I wonder if in his delivery and tone, Jesus might have communicated to this woman and to everybody who was there listening in, so why should I help you? I mean, after all, these guys over here think you're no better than an unclean dog. I mean, I believe Jesus was crossing the line. He was exposing and challenging the biases of everyone who listened by putting voice to them. Is this woman really unclean, unworthy, and beyond redemption, as all of you standing here listening think she is? And friends, whatever you think about his words, we observe that this woman was clearly undeterred because she responded. Verse 27, she said, Yes, Lord, even the dogs eat crumbs that fall from their master's table. An amazing response. Friends, she didn't respond the way that we would have. We would have gotten offended and walked away. But this woman accepts Jesus' premises. He says, yes, yes, you may have first been sent to the lost sheep of Israel like you say. And yes, they deserve to eat first. She says, but after they've eaten, wouldn't there still be a left for even a a dog like me? Friends, this woman response demonstrates that this pagan woman understands Jesus better than many of his own people do. She actually says, I know I don't deserve anything, but I'll take whatever you'll give. And church, this is ultimately how every single one of us needs to approach Jesus. The Jewish people thought they had an in because of their heritage. They thought they were more worthy because they were ceremonially clean. However, what we find is that the ground is level at the feet of Jesus. Friends, the ground is level at the feet of Jesus. Both Jew and Gentile alike come to Jesus in need. Neither deserve anything, but all come needing grace. 
and all must, like this woman, woman did, come by faith. And somehow, by faith, this woman saw who Jesus was. I don't know if you caught, but in verse 22, when she addressed Him, she called Him Son of David. As we've already seen repeatedly in Matthew's Gospel, Son of David is a messianic title. This Canaanite understood and received by faith the truth that many of Jesus' own people rejected. Jesus was the Son of David, the promised Messiah, God's anointed Savior. And by faith she saw that, by faith she cried out, and by faith she received. Friends, that's the Gospel. That's the good news. Regardless of who you are, regardless of what you've done, regardless of where you're coming from, those who come by faith in Jesus, confessing who He is, the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of God, they will receive. Lord, help me. Friends, have you received Him? Have you cried out to Him? This woman did, and we read that her daughter was healed. But Jesus wasn't done. Jesus wasn't done. He, he goes on from this encounter, and there are other lines that need to be crossed. The crumbs with which, for which this Gentile woman just pled are now liberally distributed to more Gentiles so that they too might join the feast. I mean, we read about all kinds of healings in verses 29 through 31. And reading the accounts, I couldn't help but think of the hymn that we sang this morning, which is why I want us to sing it. Hear him, ye deaf, his praise ye dumb, your loosened tongues employ, ye blind, behold, your Savior comes, and leap, ye lame, for joy. Jesus goes and he heals them. The mute speak, the lame walk, the blind see. And friends, look at the end of verse 31. It says, and they glorified the God of Israel. Why does it specify the God of Israel? Because these are Gentiles. And Jesus has crossed the line. He heals these Gentiles. And what do the Gentiles do? They glorify the God of Israel, the true God. Jesus, makes a, Jesus crosses these lines for the sake of feeding these crowds with the crumbs from God's table. And friends, we find that they're more than sufficient to feed the crowds. The Gospel may go first to the Jewish people, but even now has begun the feeding of the Gentile nations. And as if to drive the point home, we find another miraculous feeding. Now, as you read that account, it might have seemed a little bit like deja vu, because in Matthew 14, just a chapter before, we witnessed the feeding of 5,000 men plus women and children with only five loaves and two fish. However, it says here there were 4,000 men plus women and children, and they were hungry and in need of feeding. And when Jesus says, hey, I want to feed the crowds and turns to his disciples, they respond in verse 33. The disciples said to him, where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? Okay, are the disciples dense? I mean, didn't they have a sense of deja vu? Like somehow, I mean, did they miss the fact, hey, you know, I feel like we've been here before. Haven't we done this and Jesus did something with bread? I don't remember. Why? Why would the disciples question, where are we going to get enough food to feed the crowd? I mean, they witnessed a crowd larger than this one fed by the hand of Jesus. 
So why the apparent amnesia? Friends, I don't believe the disciples forgot. And I don't believe that they doubted Jesus could feed this crowd. I actually believe they doubted Jesus would feed this crowd. Because the crowd of 5,000 that he fed were Jewish people. The crowd of 4,000 here were the Gentiles. Of course, Jesus is going to provide bread enough to feed the lost sheep of Israel. But would Jesus really feed a crowd of pagan Gentiles? Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the table. Here again, Jesus crosses the line and the disciples learn, friends, the provision of Jesus is more than enough to feed all the nations, to feed all the peoples. Friends, the feeding of the 5,000 done in Jewish territory saw 12 basketfuls of leftovers remaining, symbolically enough for the 12 disciples to take and feed the 12 tribes of Israel. But after the feeding of the 4,000, which happens here in Gentile territory, we see seven basketfuls of leftovers. Symbolically, seven is the number of wholeness, of completeness. So the crumbs, the leftovers, are enough to feed the whole world, all of the nations. Friends, Jesus repeatedly crosses the line in these accounts so that His followers will learn that Jesus' kingdom crosses every line and crosses every border. Jesus Christ has come as bread enough to feed the whole world. That the Messiah has come for the ceremonially clean and the ceremonially unclean, for the good and the bad alike. That all persons, regardless of who they are and what they've done, might come by faith and be received. Lord, help me. And friends, if you're here, or if you're watching online and you feel far away, you feel unreachable, you feel unclean, you feel like that there could never be bread enough, that there could never be grace enough for you, Hear the gospel. Friends, the gospel is that God's grace is so lavish and abundant that even the crumbs that fall from God's table are more than enough to feed all who would come to Him in faith. So what stops you? What stops you from coming? And if you want to know more, we will have people up front who would love to talk and to pray with you today following the service. And church... Church, we hear this account and it's time for us to cross the line the way that Jesus did. Are there people groups against which we hold biases? Are there those who we count to be too lost, too far gone, too pagan? Are there those that we doubt the grace of God could reach? Are there those that we won't reach out to for fear that other people will accuse us of somehow crossing the line? Church, understand, we must never Never, never compromise the truth. We must never deny or minimize sin. And we must never water down the gospel. However, we must always believe and proclaim that Jesus' grace is more than enough to feed, to heal, to cleanse all who come in faith. In church, we too must cross lines and cross borders because Jesus' first followers had to learn that God is a God, not just of the Jewish people, but of all the nations. And church, we must go. We now must go that one day, every tribe, people, nation, and language might proclaim 
that Jesus is Lord. And to give you a spoiler alert, at the end of Matthew's Gospel, these are the very last words that Jesus speaks to His disciples, to us as followers. He declares in Matthew 28, starting in verse 18, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to Me. Go. Therefore, make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Church, what stops us? What stops us from crossing the line and from crossing every border to proclaim Christ to all the nations? Let's pray. Father, thank You. Thank You that Christ did cross the line. He crossed the line to reach those who need to be reached. And He's made it possible that all of us, no matter who we are, no matter where we come from, no matter what people, tribe, tongue, or nation from which we come, we might come now if we come in faith. Father, we thank You that You are the Lord of all. Father, make us faithful Make us your people faithful to go forth and to declare to the nations that many might see, that many might hear, that many might know and declare with us that Jesus is Lord. In His name we pray. Amen.